Hello, my name is Ross McKenzie and welcome to the spring edition of FAS, Growing Crofting and Small Holdings. FAS in Gaelic means growth and through these programmes we hope to bring you information that will help you grow and develop your croft and small holding. This programme is funded by the Farm Advisory Service, which is part of the Scottish Rural Development Programme. The main subject on our spring edition of FAS is lambing. On this show, we join a lambing course on Sky. We also learn more about shelter belts, and I help soil sample the Sky Nutrient Network Farm. We were delighted to join a lambing course that was organised by the Scottish Crofting Federation at Borv, just outside Portree this March. The course tutors were local vet Rona Campbell and senior agricultural consultant Siobhan MacDonald, who shared their expertise through theory and a practical demonstration. Firstly, we join Siobhan at the Lambing Simulator, where the students get a chance to experience the art of lambing. So Siobhan, can you tell us about the lambs you're using? These lambs are from lambing last year and they, they died of hypothermia and we've kept them in a freezer for a year. So they just came out of the freezer two days ago to defrost in time for the course. Okay, so what we have here is a lambing simulator and it, if you have a look inside it, it has in it a sheep's pelvis and that's a real pelvis. Um, and we've got a plastic bag full of water and a sadly deceased lamb inside. And so what we can do is we can put, I can put the lamb in lots of different positions and you can ha- put your, your hand in and feel to see what position the lamb is in, correct it and pull the lamb out. So, so can you tell me what's happening with this lamb? Yeah, we see his legs coming in the top of it. Yeah. Okay, and how how many legs do you have? Just the one. Just the one. Yep. Okay. So where you've got one leg forward, if it's a very little lamb, you'll probably be able to, and there's lots of lubrication, you'll probably be able to pull it out with just one leg, if it's little. But you are better to try and get the other leg if you can. So remembering hygiene at all times and use lube. We've got um, bottles of lube. So you put lots of lube onto your hand. Put your hand in and feel for the second leg and pull it forward. And in pulling it forward, what you want to do is make sure that the hoof doesn't rip any of the inside of the U. So you would cup your hand round the end of the hoof up your hand around the end of the hoof and bring it forward. So, if the lamb is lying with one leg back, like that, you would feel past its head, down its shoulder, down like that, put your hand around the bottom of the hoof and pull it forward, like so. Looks easy, (laughs) but you're doing it without being able to see these things. It's generally snowing. Yes. <laughs> Cold and the ewes trying to escape. So, okay, so, um, pull one leg forward and then put your hand in and try and feel for the second leg. Do you have the problem with the face in my hand? <laughs> yes. Poor ewes. Are you wanting to hold on to the leg that you've got out first of all? Yes. Uh, I mean, <coughs> 
what what you can do at that stage is you can use a rope, so you can use yeah, lamb rope, yeah, and put that round one leg to keep it out. Okay. So you you usually end up with <laughs> one rope in between your teeth, holding one leg, <laughs> whilst your hand goes in to fetch the other leg out. Meanwhile, as is happening to Ali, its le- its head goes back. And you start cursing at that point. <laughs> the good job is dead already. You put maybe a piece of a, a bit of string or something around it to keep a hold of its head for it. And yeah. there are there are um that's it. Yay, well done. One of the key parts of the course is nutrition. Here, Siobhan explains. One part of the lambing course that we like to explain is about nutrition. And nutrition is very important, not just for lambing itself, but actually what you feed right the way through pregnancy uh, will affect the lamb later on in life when it's a ewe lamb. So for lambing itself, um, getting enough protein, especially into the ewe, is is important and obviously energy is important too and trying to get the balance correct isn't always that easy especially with a hill flock a bit easier to cope with in by when you have uh, ewes that you can perhaps split up into different groups and feed accordingly and also it's it's easier to feed concentrates and troughs when the ewe is being fed up to lambing the effect that that can have is on the amount of brown fat that the lamb is born with and it's the brown fat that it needs to get up and going and suckling it burns that fat really quickly and it gives it heat and energy so that's an that's one important consideration and the second is that you want lots of protein so that the lamb is born with um, a good skin and coat and you need energy for the ewe so that she has enough get up and go to to recover from lambing and lick the lamb dry and also that she has sufficient energy and protein so that she can make a good colostrum and of course colostrum is absolutely essential for getting the lamb up and going and protecting it against disease. I spoke to Ali MacDonald of Borv, an experienced lammer who took time out preparing his lambing shed to give me his views of the course held the previous evening. Hi, Ross. Uh, uh, the course was very good last night. Angela and uh, my wife and I went to it. Uh, it was pretty in-depth. The simulator on the on the lambing, how to uh, give you the lamb in a few different positions, uh, either singles or twins, that was helpful. Uh, the main thing for us was for the first time we are going to be lambing uh, the whole flock inside. We've got uh, 83 ewes, uh, mostly mules, cheviots and some swarbles. Uh, they're lambing to a textile top, so there's certain things that, you know, obviously we have to look at that we, we didn't, wasn't so much a, a worry for us before with the watery mouse, that's a big problem with the lambing inside. So, I mean, the opportunity to, to get to course a, a vet for four hours and certain things like that, very, very worthwhile doing. Uh, we do have a few blackies as well that will be lambed outside in the croft. Uh, certain things that we've had with problems over the years, everybody who lambs up here will know, 
your, your weather will always seem to turn nasty just as the wee lambs due to pop out. Uh, hypothermia is a big problem, and what I've found to be a lifesaver in the past, uh, getting the vet to do it because I never had the confidence to uh, the glucose injection straight into the stomach. But uh, after spending some time with uh, Rona last night, the vet, and she gives, gives you the confidence to show you. I mean, if you don't do it, you're going to lose the lamb anyway, but she showed us how to do it exactly in almost a foolproof way, so I would have the confidence to do that now. So that, that's a great help, just having, having the confidence to do that. And, and also, we've, we've been lambing for a, a few number of years now, but you, you don't know everything. You always pick something up new, you know. Uh, and it's not just picking it up new, it's just kind of maybe improving your technique on, on getting the lamb out. Yeah, I think you definitely benefit from it. Uh, I, would, I would do the course again in a couple of more years' time if it came up. Uh, even if you're a very experienced lammer, it's, it's a good refresher for you. And it also gives the confidence to the people coming along as well that, you know, they're not, you know, although they might be total novices, they know that the rest of us are willing to learn too, you know. So, yeah, worthwhile. We spoke to local vet Rona Campbell, who gave us her main advice on lambing problems. Well, pre-lambing, we always look out for problems with uh, nutritional problems, checking that the animals have got a good body condition score fit for lambing. Um, if their condition's dropping and they're carrying twins, we're always a little bit concerned about twin lamb disease, uh, a condition where ewes are carrying more than one lamb and they're not getting enough um, feeding just to support that. Um, then also it's good before lambing to give use a booster vaccination against clostridial disease and pasturella if necessary. Uh, this is because if you do it at this point, then the colostrum contains a lot of antibodies to these diseases, which are then passed on to the lambs, which otherwise wouldn't have any protection. Um, Pre-lambing, it's also good to give the ewes a dose of worm and fluke medicines, um, because around about lambing time there is actually a rise in the number of worms in the ewes' gut. So a treatment for fluke and worm at this point helps to uh, get the, the ewe in the best condition for lambing and to limit the spread of worms around that time. Um, around about lambing time we're looking for um, any prolapses, which are parts of the, um, the reproductive system which are poking out the back where they shouldn't be. Um, these prolapses uh, need to be um, reinserted back into the U, so you have to watch for them um, appearing underneath the tail. Um, there's ones both before lambing and then also after lambing. After lambing they can put out their whole womb, which is a bit of an emergency. Um, then later on, when the lambs are born, we're wanting to check them that they're uh, in good order, that they get a good suck of colostrum, that they get... Um, mothered onto the ewe correctly and are getting fed correctly. Also check them that they don't have any interned eyelids um, and that hopefully if they get a lot of colostrum you'll avoid the, the subsequent problems of joint hill and scouring. Um, on that note, the SAC are offering free post-mortems of um, lambs with joint hill so please be aware of that and contact your vet if you are experiencing a problem with joint hill in lambs. Another problem that we can meet both before and after lambing is a deficiency of calcium. Uh, this causes a ewe to tend to be a little bit withdrawn, stop eating, and she can go down and look a little bit depressed. It's treated with injections of calcium under the skin or in an emergency um, that can be given by the vet into the vein. 
uh, but it's quite a common problem that we meet around about uh, this time of year. Um, and I thought you might like to know a little <laughs> short guide to lambing, courtesy of Alistair Hunter of Three Dreinach. If it's out, put it in. If it's in, get it out. And if it's down, give it calcium. And finally, Chiffon describes her lamy kit and gives us some final key tips. Well, um, it's good to be prepared. So in my lambing bag, I would carry around with me uh, some gloves, uh, just some thin gloves for lambing. I actually prefer lambing without gloves, but for hygiene purposes, you are better to, to use gloves. Um, lube, that's very important. So lubricant gel, it's not expensive and it's it's essential to have that with you. Uh, that makes your, your life and the used life a lot easier. Um, I've also got in my bag some scrub. Um, you can get veterinary scrub, which is which is really good, and that makes sure that your hands are clean. Um, I've also got in here some a bag, a sachet of powdered colostrum, which isn't as good as the real thing or freezing used colostrum, but it's good in an emergency and um, good to have just a couple of sachets of that. I've also got with me some lambing ropes and you can use baler twine but the, the ropes are a bit easier to grip hold of and that's very handy for keeping legs in place and also a head puller as well so the head puller just goes around the lamb's ears and keeps, keeps the head in place. Um, I've also got a stomach feeding tube so if you've got a lamb that hasn't had sufficient colostrum you can you can give it feed through that and make sure that it has it has enough inside it. I've also got with me a little thermometer so you can tell if what stage of hypothermia any lambs are at if they're hypothermic. And I've got some iodine for dipping lambs navels into just to prevent any infection. And so that makes up my my lambing bag and it's it's good to have all these things to hand just to carry about with you. Shelter belts at lambing time could be a saviour, especially with a cold wind blowing as a new lamb is born. Douglas Priest, a woodland specialist with SAC based in Inverness, explains the structure of a shelter belt and what benefits it can bring. Okay, so yeah, thanks for having me here today. Um, one thing I've noticed time and time again speaking with um, landowners um, from crofters right up to the States is uh, people fail to see the benefit of woodland in situ. They see the benefit of woodland when the timber lawyers are taking the logs away, but up until that point, they don't see it as an asset. Um, so I'm here today just to briefly discuss um, the benefits of having a, a shelter belt or having woodland as shelter on your property. Um, the main key benefits I would say would be the savings on um, feeds and the reduced loss of livestock uh, simply because with reduced wind speeds you've got more shelter so it's um, a warmer climate in the lee of the belt um, the structure of your shelter belt is very important as well uh, in that the Forestry Commission are looking for diverse woodlands so the days of having a single species square woodlands up on the hill are gone 
um, they're looking for an element of broadleaves, preferably elements of open space, which is not so important with shelter belts, and, and then your main um, conifer element. So if you imagine looking at the shelter belt from going across the width of the, the, the shelter belt would be shrubs down to the low level, so sort of one to, well, ground level up to around three metres. Um, then you have your medium-sized broad leaves from above head height up to, say, 10 metres. And then from there on, in, you're into the, the branches of the conifers, which is in the, the middle, over the other side, you're down to the medium-sized broad leaves and then shrubs again on the other side. And that way you've got um, the wind is rather than just coming up against a right-angled tree, potentially um, once the conifers reach maturity, that's more likely to blow them down. The wind is um, sort of encouraged to go up and over uh, the the trees and leave the sheltered area, the other side, um, nice and calm. Um, And obviously with that warmer and a nicer environment for the likes of lambs and calves, especially at this time of year. Um, In terms of orientation, you're looking to have the... um, the shelter belt north to south just obviously because of where your wind's coming from that's where you'll get the main benefit of the shelter but there's nothing to stop you having um, cross-shaped shelter belts um, because then you essentially have four areas of shelter if you imagine the cross and then each area working your way around uh, gives you more options so it's it's something you could think about for um, neighbouring farms as well. If you both kind of chip in and meet each other in the middle, you have a physical barrier between the farms which can help separate the livestock, but you also uh, spread the benefits and the cost of that uh, timber. Um, the only, well, the main thing to consider, especially in the north and the west, would be uh, peat. Um, the Forestry Commission won't release funding for areas where the peat is deeper than 50 centimetres. Um, this goes back to having an element of open space. You can have a, a shelter belt, um, potentially if you had a, a rectangle that cuts halfway up the middle for a gate or something like that. If you had an area of peat, then you can work around that and still create a shelter belt but have it as two separate sections. That would still be classed as one woodland. Um, the next thing to consider is where you have the, the woodland. Obviously, for the likes of shelter, um, you want to have it somewhere where the soil is good enough quality for the, the roots of the trees. And obviously, as I mentioned before, no peat over 50 centimetres deep. But um, it needs to make sense for you as well on the farm for where you're moving your animals um, and where you have your your, your best access points, really. Um, as a sort of side note to that, if you are considering having a larger um, block of woodland, Access is very important um, because with smaller woodlands, which shelter belts generally tend to be, um, the points where you're making profit uh, upon clear fell can be can be can be brought into um, negative if your access is poor because you have to pay the contractor more to get the wood to the roadside. So that's something to consider. But um, as I say, if you have a shelter belt there for you would have shelter benefit. You'd see the benefits from it from from year five say once it's you know around a couple of meters tall uh, as a general rule of thumb you would get um, shelter from three to five times the, the height of the crop um, and then that block of woodland that shelter belt would be there for potentially 30 40 years uh, each year you're making a saving on your your, your feet and um, you're making a saving with loss of you're not losing so much um, livestock through exposure uh, and you would have the benefit of improved weight gain at the same time it's um, 
it's something that's very hard to, to quantify, but there are certainly um, real cash benefits to having um, shelter belts on your property. And it's something that many people get put off by because they, they feel that um, small areas aren't worth going ahead with. But although there may be um, a small cost at establishment, you would make that back um, either through the payments in years two, three, four and five to establish the woodland or failing that after year five, you are still making savings on your feed bill and increased profits from um, weight gain and loss of and reduced mortality. The Sky Nutrient Network Farm was launched in March. At the meeting, the whole farm soil analysis was discussed. I joined Jeanette on the farm to sample the 12 fields. The Sky Nutrient Network Farm is a waternish farm by kind permission of the Montgomery family. The Nutrient Network Farms is to try and help us learn more about nutrients so we can get better grass, so we can uh, reduce the amount of bagged feed that we're needing to buy for sheep at lambing time. And also, the Waternish Farm is very important for biodiversity. It's under The grass is being managed uh, to help a lot of bird species corn creek and a lot of wading birds like snipe and curlew so when we're managing the soil to help benefit the grass we're also helping benefit the invertebrates in the soil which is the diet for these important birds so we're out on Waternish farm on one of the fields and we're taking soil samples of 12 fields actually today in glorious sunshine which helps a great deal and Jeanette can you tell us what the procedure is when taking a sample. The equipment I have today is a bucket and a corer. And what we're going to do is in the bit of the field that we're interested in, we're going to walk in a W shape. And about 15 to 20 points along that W, we're going to take a sample of soil. So we'll put the core into the ground about four inches deep in this case, but it could be deeper if you were going to be doing ploughing. And then all those samples will be in the bucket What we're then going to do is we're going to mix them up and a subsample will be taken so we get a good average for the field. So once you've sent your soil samples away to be analysed and you get the results, what are you looking for? One of the most important things we'll be looking for is the soil pH. That's how acidic the soil is. Grass growth has an optimum pH of 5.8 to 6 Unfortunately in Skye, the soils are often a lot more acidic. What we'll be able to do is, with the results come back, be able to say how much tonnes per hectare of lime each field needs to get it to the optimum level. And what about the phosphorus and potassium levels? The results will also say how, what the level of uh, phosphorus, potassium and magnesium is. And this will give us a general indication of the overall fertility. Often in Skye, the phosphorus levels are very low and that's the one that we really need to target because that can have a negative effect on both grass and clover growth. And the reason they're quite low is actually due to the soil, is it? Yes, especially in the north of Skye, the soil locks up the phosphate. So even though the phosphate's there, it's not available for the plants. So we need to ensure that we apply more This can be done through applying farmyard manure or it can be through bagged fertiliser. And it's important that we get these levels correct so um, we're not over applying anything and creating a pollution problem, but nor are we under applying anything that the grass crop needs. Well, we've got another eight fields to do, so I think we better get going (laughs) because 
I'm getting hungry. <laughs> so that's us finished all the soil sampling here at Waternish Farm on a glorious day, thankfully. It could have been a lot worse. And Jeanette, can you give any advice on lambing parks, especially this time of year, going into spring? Well, ideally, our lambing parks should have been rested so that when you're going to take your ewes in for lambing, that the fields are nice and clean. And hopefully with the rest, actually, the sward has got a fairly good height to it so that there's a good amount of food there for the sheep. Some people like to apply a fertiliser to give the grass an extra boost. And traditionally, that would have been 100 kilograms per hectare of nitrum, which is 34% nitrogen. However... If you tested your soils and you have low phosphate levels in your soil, you might prefer to use a different product like DAP, which has 18% nitrogen and 46% phosphate. And perhaps you could apply that at 170 kilograms per hectare. But of course, there's no point applying fertiliser. It's just a waste of money if it's too cold and that the, the, the grass isn't growing and can make use of it. And also if it's far too wet, it's no, it, there's no, no sense because it'll just get washed away and that's also not very good for the environment. So unfortunately, a lot of these things with grasslands, there's long-term planning as well as short-term fixes. This part of the show is called This Edition's Tasks where we're going to look at certain bits of paperwork that may be lurking on your desk or even behind the old clock. So the first form I have in front of me, Angus, is Scott Moves. Can you tell me about this? Scott Moves is a new system of recording the movement of cattle in Scotland. It's an online system and anybody who away winter cattle or moves cattle to summer grazing needs to fill in this form and send it back to Huntley. And the people dealing with it is Scott EID, is that correct? That's correct, Scott EID are based in Huntley. They've been doing sheep recording for a long time. They're now doing cattle recording as well. And is it important to attach a barcode? Yeah, very important. There's a space in the top corner for your barcode and you put down the CPH of the holding you're moving the cattle to. Excellent. What about this Crofting Commission census form? The census form for crofters, individual crofters, has been out for a while. Should have been in by now, but there's still time to put it in. Very simple form, two or three ticks, sign it, send it back. There may also be some grazing clerks out there who have been received a common grazing census form. This needs to be filled in once every five years. So those who have it, should complete it and send it back. Jeanette, Ajax time, it's that time of year. Forms, are they out? People should be receiving the paper forms through the post very soon, so keep an eye out of them, because the deadline is the 15th of May. It's not long now. And you can also apply online? Yes, if you're... If you do your form online, the system's open now, so you can get on with uh, filling it in. And also, many people might be in these environmental schemes, and there's important shut-off dates to remember. Yes, if you're in an agri-environment scheme, the important thing to remember is that your scheme will be unique. So it's important that you familiarise yourself with the maps and the management plans, so you can make sure that you're following all the times when stock aren't meant to be in fields and if there's 
stocking density limits like so you don't overstock any fields and also you may have capital items so you may need to do some fencing and remember to put in the claim forms for that as well. And also Angus we've got the beef efficiency scheme recording of uh, carbines through your diary. Yeah this scheme started last year most people are only signing up to it this year and to get a diary through the post whereby you record a calf when it's born, ease of birth, quietness of the mother, and this is uploaded to your website at a later date. So all things, keep on top of them, and one that will be coming in soon is the June census. Jeanette, what do you have to look out for doing in yes, this? Yes, it, it's not far, it doesn't seem long since you filled in your eggs for them, but then the June census will also be coming through the post, and it's important that you do fill this in, because it helps Scottish Government um, plan things. So just most of the information should be picked up off your IX form, but you'll need to put in stock numbers. And should you watch out, if you fill IX online, your gene census may come out online, is that correct? That's correct, there's a new change. So if you'd still like to get a paper um, form, you can contact the census people and they'll ensure that you get a paper form as usual. That's great, thanks very much. So let's hope all forms are cleared and there's nothing stuck behind the clock. To everyone involved in lambing, we hope you have a successful lambing season and plenty good big strong lambs to sell at this year's sales. Thank you for listening to our first edition of FAS, and we hope you can join us again for the summer edition. The Scottish Farming Advisory Service provides a telephone advice line which you can call for free advice. The number is 0300 323 Visit the FAS website at www.faz.scot to find out about free events near you. The Scottish Farming Advisory Service, no FAS. O one six one. The Futia Tull in Larachleen www.fans.scot. I guess you have a Tilly Feast of Matahajus and Fashkat Falaverat.